0: Welcome to to
2: smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast. Conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stamp here. Thanks for tuning in. Who wants to make some money? I feel like I'm surrounded by TikToks and Instagrams and emails and newsletters about passive income. And it seems easy. I guess that's how the world works, right? Of course... I know that's not how it is, but I still have the dream. One of those dreams, and actually goals that I have for myself, is to purchase a rental property. And nothing is hotter right now than Airbnb short-term rentals. You've probably heard of it. It's everywhere, but people are buying up houses all over the country and making seemingly endless amounts of money renting them out. So I wanted to learn about it. And I did what I always do, and I went and got an expert. This week on the show, we are talking to Rob Built. Yeah, that's right. Rob Built. That's what I'm going to call him. His name is Rob. His YouTube channel is Rob Built. His entire brand is Rob Built. It is spelled R-O-B-U-I-L-T. And Rob's crushing it. He's got over a dozen Airbnb properties. He's got over 150,000 subscribers on his YouTube channel talking about short-term rentals. He has courses on it and he's entertaining. He's a nice guy. He knows what he's doing. I really enjoyed the episode. And this is one of those episodes. Make sure you listen to the very end where Rob spends about five or 10 minutes just dropping knowledge on how to do this. On top of just talking about Airbnbs, though, we talk about what it's like to have your own business, to be a content creator, a landlord, a father, a husband, all at the same time. Really wide-ranging episode. So I hope you enjoy it. If you do, let us know. Reach out, smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a review. Best thing you can do is tell a friend. If You know somebody who's always into schemes and investing and trying to make money, send them the episode. If you like what we do, patreon.com slash smartpeoplepodcast. We're going to weekly episodes in March. We have a treat for our existing Patreon supporters. So go ahead and sign up so you don't miss that and much more to come around how we are going to better support our Patreon community. Thanks for tuning in, share it with a friend. We are talking to Rob of Rob Built about short-term rentals, Airbnb investing, making money, trying to stay sane, all at the same time. Enjoy.
1: Sweet. Welcome to the, the smart people podcast, everybody,
2: where smart people come together to th- talk about smart things. It is. What do you, how do you think? Was that pretty good? I think that's great. <laughs> Rob, where do you put yourself on the uh, on the smart people continuum? I mean, I've seen your YouTube channel. I've seen your website. I know you're investing. I put you pretty high up there, but I'm curious from your perspective.
1: Uh, right in the middle, man. Yeah. Uh, right in the middle. I'm, I'm not particularly smart. I'm not <laughs> particularly dumb, I think. Uh, I like to think of myself as a pretty average guy that just works hard and... Uh, Working hard and being you know, relatively street smart, I guess, Yeah. that helps a lot. That helps a lot in the world of business, Airbnb, and everything in between.
2: Yeah. You know, I wanted to have you on. I, I got interested in short-term rentals. I got interested in Airbnb, as I'm sure 90% of the world is right now. You can't avoid it. And then you start doing your searching. You start looking on YouTube. And I vibed with what you put out into the world. I wanted to start with this. Where do you think we are in this cycle of short term real estate investing? Yeah. Well, before we jump into that,
1: let me just like quickly give an overview of what short term rentals are, just in case, you know, anybody at home right now
2: is like, what's a short term rental? Although, uh, if they don't if, know, I question them. Okay. I just question where you are in the world, where you're living. But I agree. Better, better place to start. Let's do that. Yeah. Let's just start at the
1: very beginning here. <laughs> so, like, Short-term rentals, you know, is basically the fancy way of saying like Airbnb. If you've ever stayed at Air- Airbnb, at an Airbnb, then that, you know, that's, that's a short-term rental. Rental, that's like anywhere from like one to seven days on average. Um, really anything under 30 days is considered a short-term rental. And then usually a long-term rental would be something that's like a 12-month lease. Um, now we can get it to even the subtypes, the, the mid-term rentals. And that's what I consider anything that's like one to three months. Uh, I do them all. For the most part, but my focus is on short term rentals. I've been doing it now for like four to five years. And, you know, I've seen like a pretty decent uh, arc, I guess, in the industry. Uh, As far as where we're at today, I I genuinely believe that we are really at the beginning of short term rentals and like what they are, what they will become. You know, Airbnb has been around for about 10 years, but the concept of short term rentals, I mean, that's been around for a very long time. They started out as like bed and breakfast, right? And mm-hmm. then like VRBO and then Airbnb came around and made it all cool and popular. And so now I think a lot of people are really understanding that A, Airbnb really creates like a unique experience that's different from hotels, right? Like we've all done the hotels many, many, many times. I just stayed at a hotel in Vegas. Like you know, a couple a week ago, I uh, don't really remember much of it. No, I'm I was going to say, what were uh, you we doing in
2: Vegas? You know, have you heard of COVID? Like, I Vegas feels <laughs> like you step off the plane and you just get sick. I don't know.
1: No, dude, seriously. Well, okay. First of all, yes, I just got COVID like a month ago, oh, so I was like, I'm good. I'm good for six months. I'm vaccinated. I got all that stuff. So I'm like, eh, it should be okay that for a bit. Sense. But um, my wife bought me a, a birthday trip for to Vegas with my with my best buds, and she was like, Happy birthday! You get to leave me and the kids for a weekend, and I was like. That this is, like, this is a real, this is like a legit gift. Yeah. Taking care of the kids for like a whole weekend. Yeah. She's a saint. Yeah. So she sent me and then I was supposed to go to Vegas and then I got COVID <laughs> and then we rescheduled it there you go. for a month later. So it. here we are. That yeah. brings us back to today. Yeah. Right, sorry. I'm going to try not to do too many <laughs> things, but uh, I, I was at a hotel in Vegas and yes, you're right there. Yeah. They're, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. All right. So <laughs> Airbnbs, <laughs> they've really kind of helped us break away from hotels And it's something that we didn't know that we wanted or even needed, right? Like, you know, you've only ever done taxis and then Uber came around and now you're like, oh, why would I do a taxi? Like I can literally call a taxi to my house through an app. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like a big thing. Mm Airbnb is the same thing to the hotel industry where it's like, we've only ever known hotels. So it's like, why change it? And then now instead of spending 300 bucks a night on like a one bed bed small little tiny dinky smelly hotel Mm -hmm. you can spend 300 dollars a night and get like a two bath a two bed two bath house or a three bed two bath house and you can now split that house with your friends and your family and now they don't have to book their own book their own rooms for 300 bucks a night so it really has kind of shaken up the travel economy in that regard where we've got options now and we've got options to stay at places that are so much cooler tree houses geodomes tiny houses Airstreams, mansions, luxury, you know, Spanish villas in Scottsdale, like Mm -hmm. whatever, whatever it is, whatever you can think of, there's probably an Airbnb that exists for it. And so aside from that, aside from the actual popularity of Airbnbs growing as a, as a place to stay, it's also super popular as an investment strategy because it's a very high yielding asset class in in real estate, perhaps the highest yielding, like typically in a long-term rental, you know, you're hoping for a eight to 10% return is what like a lot of people are trying. I know a lot of people that will take a 6% return on a long-term rental right now. Cause the wow. market is so dang competitive. But when you start opening up things like Airbnb in, in letting that into your portfolio, you start looking at returns of 20, 30, 40, 50%. My best unit last this last year was a chalet in Gatlinburg. And, um, I think that did eighty five thousand dollars in gross revenue was a ninety a ninety two percent return something like that like something those numbers like shouldn't
2: exist that that's what always gets me you know that phrase if it's too good to be true it's probably not and like everywhere I look I, I see that so either everybody's in on the lie or Airbnb investing <laughs> really can be that lucrative and and beneficial.
1: man. I mean, I, like I said, I started off pretty small, you know, like I, I do come from like a humble beginnings, I guess you will like not, not a bad life or anything like that. But like when I got into Airbnb, I had $80,000 of student loans, uh, debt, and then like, you know, another $20,000 in like credit card debt. And so when I started this whole Airbnb thing, I actually started in, uh, what was it like? Oh yeah. Rental arbitrage. So it's basically where you rent, an apartment, and then you sublease it on Airbnb. I started there, and I was making like one to two thousand dollars a month, and that was like, dude, at that time, that was some serious money for me. Like that was my student loan payment, right? Wow. And uh, I went on and I bought a house in L.A., and that house was about, I think it was either three times more or four times more. I'm not great at math, see, I'm telling you, I'm just average <laughs> here. It was about four times more then the house that I, that I sold when I moved to LA, I lived in Kansas city and my house was like $159,000. And I moved to LA and my house was $624,000, yeah. which I mean, I didn't have that kind of money. I was stretched very thin. It was a questionable decision, but what this house had going for it was that there was this 279 square foot studio space bonus room area under my house. It used to be a basement. The previous owner converted that into like a little studio with like a a little kitchenette. It was all gross when I moved in. I spent like one month remodeling it on a budget. I would get home from work at like six um, and I would just like go straight into the studio and I would just, man, for one month, I would just be working in there, tearing out floors, repainting everything. My diet at that time was, I actually lost weight, which I I don't understand how, but it was uh, sour cream and cheddar ruffles and Red Bull. Well, that's all I had. Well, that's it, like one personified. <laughs> it, it, it is, man. It's the Hollywood diet, you know, as they say. So um, I was doing that. That was my one meal that I gave myself at night because I just loved it. I was, in the, I was in the zone, right? And I was like, I'm going to have this one thing if I'm going to be up until 3 a.m. every night, which I was, like, just really remodeling it. And then I listed it on Airbnb. And you know, I was like, my wife, when we bought that house, she was like, can we afford it? And I was like, "Heck, no, we can't afford it. Uh, I was going to say hell. I don't know. Can we, yeah, can you can It's fair. Okay, good. Yeah. Hell, hell no. I wasn't, Um, yeah. So, uh, I was like, no, we can't, we can't, but this little studio, I think that if we remodel it and we do it correctly, I think we can make two to $3,000 a month doing that. And she was like, all right, if you say so. And I was like, yeah, yeah, let's try it. So exactly that happened. I was like so relieved, right? That first month came in and I think I made like 2800 bucks or something like that. And that was a game changer for me because that's when it all clicked in cuz I was making like 2800 bucks there. My little apartment I think made like, you know, that first month like 1500 bucks or something like that. Yeah. And I paid for my mortgage. My mortgage was $4400 on that property and I was like I I really need this. I need this to work, you know. And it did, it paid for it. And so that's when it all started clicking in for me, that Airbnb, if I was just like, man, if I had 10 of these, if I had 10 of these making, you know, $2,000 a month, that's $20,000 a month that I can make. And, you know, I was like telling that to my wife. She's like, well, you know, I trust you. I believe in you. Let's do it. And I'm like, I'm telling you, it's going to work. And so that was really the, the, the first two things that I did in this space that really transformed kind of like it really paved the way for the next four or five years.
2: And when was that? When did you start? Oh, that's like 20, 2017. Okay. So do you feel like you were early in the game at that point? I mean, look, I could be out of the loop. I just feel like so many people have found Airbnb investing that the average person within the last 18 months, maybe two years. You know, I would say I was probably
1: halfway through, like it definitely, you know, the the golden era in some capacities. But truly, the golden era was like, you know, when Airbnb first came around, which I think was like, I don't know, 2010, 2011, 2012, somewhere in there. Um, So I would say that was really like the golden era. When I came in, it was still kind of the Wild West. And I still think it's, you know, the Wild West right now. I think really the biggest difference isn't necessarily like saturation per se, because that's everybody's like main main qualm or main apprehension about getting in the game. Right. I just think it's really competitive to get a freaking house right now. Like there's a housing shortage pretty much everywhere and you're competing against cash buyers. Like, like I said, I mean the returns on this, even if it's just a 20% return, like that's my minimum, that's still twice as much as you're probably going to make in the stock market on a normal year. Obviously the past two years have been kind of crazy and it's still going to be twice as much as you make, on a pretty good long term investment like in real estate. So you're starting to get a hold of all these investors that were like, oh yeah, I'm taking a I'll take a six, seven, eight, nine, ten percent return, no problem. And they're like, wait a minute, I can buy an Airbnb, pass it off to a property manager, keep this pretty passive on my end, and make thirteen percent. Heck yeah, let's do that. Or hell yeah, let's do that. <laughs> and so now you got that. And now it's even getting even crazier than that because now you got hedge fund managers and like you know all these like syndications and you know funds and all that kind of stuff that are also catching wind of that and they're like whoa guys <laughs> we just figured it out instead of buying long-term uh re- you know, real estate why don't we just go ahead and buy short-term real estate and you know this area over here is an average of a 30 to 40 percent return so if we just chop it up a bit take some fees some acquisition fees We can go to the people that invested in our fund and say, hey, we're going to get you an 18% and we'll keep everything. And so now it's like really catching wind. I think that it's a really profitable um, place to be. And so that's not necessarily like an oversaturation thing in terms of are people going to still book it, but it is like a competitive landscape
2: to be in right now. Yeah. And that's what it feels like. One of the things that struck me when you were talking about your story is although the decisions you made seem scary as you talk about it. It seems like you didn't see it as a choice, meaning you were just like, I'm going to do this. This makes sense. I mean, look, going from Kansas city, $170,000 house to LA 700 K. Like those are decisions that everybody faces at different times in their lives. And majority of people, the risk aversion, just, we don't want to lose or fail or look stupid. How do you handle these types of risky decisions and just keep pushing through them? Well, um, you know, (laughs) I just, I think I've just always
1: believed that like, I, it's so cheesy, like believed in myself. No, (laughs) uh, I just, for me, when I go at something, like I go all in man and there is no failing. Like there really isn't, I'm like in this thing my time is going to go in it. I will do anything it takes to succeed at like a venture or like at a project that I put forth. And so I think I'm also just like, it's a running joke within my friend group that I'm always like the lucky one in the group. Like things just always happen to me that shouldn't happen. Like I'll go to the store and then they'll give me like free stuff or like I'll walk out with, you know, it's like that kind of thing. Or it's like, I'll go to a restaurant and then like, They'll they'll bring out two dishes and be like, "Hey, yeah, this was extra. Do you want it?" And my friends are always like, "Why does this always happen to you?" And I, I kind of just feel like that. I, 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 I don't necessarily know if luck is really like a big part of it, but I do think that, you know, opportunity and luck. Like I've I've been in the right place at the right time a lot. You know, for for certain deals that I've gotten into, and so I I'm not like oblivious to that. Like a lot of people have tried their hand at real estate and short term rentals and stuff, and. They have been in different circumstances; and it didn't work out for them, and you know any of the deals that I've ever gone into could have just as easily, like, have not worked out for me. So I do recognize that, but for me, it's just you know I really do put like my entire heart, passion, well-being, mental health into anything that I do, and so with that, it's just I like taking risks and I like swinging big, and you know every single property that I've ever accumulated in my portfolio has been a home run for me you know, and I do preach to a lot of my students and stuff. Like I'm like, Hey, there's nothing wrong with the single double or triple, right? Like that's fine. You don't always have to like swing for the fences, but it's kind of one of those, like do as I do, as I say, not as I do. Right. Because I'm always swinging for the fences and I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm down for this. Cause I know it's going to be a, a home run. And so I think really the, the, it becomes less risky when you know that you're putting all your time into it. Um, now as much as I like would love to continue that moving forward. The, the fact of the matter is I've got so many different businesses and I guess side hustles and or I guess more like front hustles now, but <laughs> I've got so many things going on now that I, I, I can't afford to necessarily put the same amount of time into every single venture. And so now a lot of the investments that I take on are less risky. So they pay out a lower return and I have to be okay with that because I just can't stay up until
2: three, four, five in the morning making that deal work. Let me ask you this. What motivates you to do this, right? And so the reason I ask is something that I struggle with a lot is the world is full of opportunity. Like, it really is. If you are a certain personality, and that's not everybody. Like my wife, she she doesn't think this way, and she thinks I'm weird. But if you're a certain personality where these things excite you, you come across opportunities all the time. The problem I deal with is do I want to do those things, right? Because the money is good, but it's not the ultimate thing. And so I would imagine you're like initially I want to pay off my credit card bills and my student loans. That's mm-hmm. av- but past that, why go into other ventures? And we're going to talk about those. So, definitely was motivated by money when I got
1: started cuz I was broke. I mean, like when you're broke, you know, money is everything, of course, you know, and, and you start climbing out of it as you work hard and you climb up the corporate ladder. And at this time I was still a full-time copywriter at an ad agency. So I was still working the nine to five job. And the dream from the very beginning was like, I wanted to quit that nine to five job. And I knew that it was going to be hard to do that. And maybe that this goes into what I was saying. It's like failure isn't an option because like, I knew that I was going to have to quit my job. And I knew that it was going to be hard because I've made decent money. Like I'll be, I'm very transparent about this. Like in hopes that other people are in the same position and like, you know, get a little inspiration from this. But like I was making $110,000 at my job Mm -hmm. and my wife was making $85,000. There you go. So together that's 195. See, Mm -hmm. I do know simple math and (laughs) that is a good living, right? But I just knew that that was going to be really difficult to walk away from because not only was it 195 but then you start adding benefits and health insurance and all that kind of stuff and it really comes out to like 225 250 pretty right. easily exactly and so for me i've just known from the beginning that i've got some pretty big like financial shoes to fill if i ever want to quit you know and that that's always been my my motivating factor is like how can i get to that magical like 250 number to to go all in and do this and um so I put everything that I have knowing that. So that was really the driver for me for the first four and a half years up until like we quit our job like eight months ago. Oh, nice. Uh, okay. Nine months ago, something like that. Yeah. So we, we quit then and money for me. was like, we got to make it. We got to make it. We got to make it. But if I'm being honest, like you do reach this certain threshold where, you know, money is cool, obviously, like no one's going to be no one's going to turn it down but you start making like decent money. Like in that price point, in that income bracket that we were in, we were doing fine. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like they're like, we could buy the double meat at, at Chipotle. <laughs> exactly. we, could, we could get the shrimp at the, you know, at the restaurant, the, the shrimp dish versus the chicken dish. Like we could get the dessert if we wanted to. Um, What else? What else? I could get a cocktail without worrying that it's 15 bucks. Right. So it's like, we were fine, but that that's kind of like, once you reach that point, Money starts being a lot less uh important because you can already afford the stuff that you wanted anyways. And so as long as you're kind of smart, the mo uh and, and which we all are because we listen to the smart people podcast, Obviously. but um, you know, as long as you're like relatively smart and diligent, the more money you make, you shouldn't really be increasing your costs like, you know, relative to that. You should be trying to stay kind of where you always are. And then you like treat yourself every so often. And so I think we got to this point where we were making, yeah, that that amount of money. And then I opened up a consultation business where I was consulting people because I started a YouTube channel. Uh, Oh, by the way, if anybody's listening,
2: I'm a YouTuber. Well, I want to talk about all your ventures, actually. I think that'll be a fascinating thing, like your journey from here's what I built to now I want to teach others to that thing. So we'll get into that. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right, I'll uh, let me land this plane then. So basically, uh, I think for me, it's
1: like the ultimate for me was like, okay, we've already reached this monetary threshold where we, we make what we need to like be comfortable. And then as long as you're smart, we're not going to be spending too much more. And so then it becomes a question of, okay, not necessarily how do I make more money, but how do I make more time for myself? Because around this time, like uh, about a two years ago, we had our first daughter and, you know, we have a family now. And so money is great and we're making it and everything like that. But now it's like, money is like, so not important at all because I have a daughter and it's like, well, it's important to provide, but like, what's the point of having money if I can't even hang out with my daughter and now I've got a son too. And so now what motivates me is less like how much money I'm going to make from a deal and how much cool stuff I can build. That's going to be creative, creatively fulfilling. That's kind of like where I'm at now. It's, you know, every venture that I take on for the most part will have some monetary reward as as far as how much money I make from something that I do. I mean, I guess it's like a factor, but it's not necessarily the factor for me. It's like, how cool is this thing that I'm going to build be? Uh, for example, I'm building like, I'm in the process of building 20 houses in, in uh, Joshua tree. And so like that to me, it's going to be a very creatively fulfilling thing. I will make decent money from that, a, a good chunk. I don't, honestly, I don't even know. Right. I don't really care as long as it's like kind of worth it. But I get to go and design like 20 houses and build them from the ground up and like do all that kind of stuff. So for me, what's driving me is like how cool and creative can a venture be? And then how much of my time is it going to require? And then money's kind of last at this point. So I've kind of flip-flopped from money being as important
0: as it used to be. And now a word from this week's sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I've been drinking Athletic Greens for two months now. It's such an important part of my morning routine. I wake up, shower, brush my teeth, then I go downstairs, shake up my Athletic Greens, sit down at the table, and do my daily wordle. Like I've mentioned before, I was overtaking vitamins and other supplements in the morning, and I wanted to see what all the hype was about with Athletic Greens. And oh my, let me tell you, it is definitely worth it. Athletic Greens is quick and easy, it shakes up well, and it tastes really good. It doesn't taste like you're having vitamins or trying to consume something healthy. So what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. The special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. All the things. I take AG1 every morning before my coffee and my breakfast. I get up, pour some water, pour the Athletic Greens in it, shake it up, and make sure I finish before my day gets started. Athletic Greens contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything, and it still tastes good. For me, I find it supports my mental clarity and alertness. You've got to check out Athletic Greens. They have over 7,000 five-star reviews, and it costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com smart. Again, that's athleticgreens.com smart to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. One more time, that's athleticgreens.com smart. And now back to the episode. That makes sense. Actually, the thing
2: you said about having kids, I find fascinating for anybody who's building something or creating something. To me, that was this massive tipping point. What is the impact of having children, Ben, on your mindset and your business?
1: It's tough, man. It's really hard because like I have this complex of like when you're broke, you don't want to spend money because you don't have it cause you, you're broke. Right. And you're always just stressing about it. And then you start making money and it's really hard to shake off like the broke mentality. Cause I like, honestly, I'm still like that today. Like I still today am like, man, I'm broke and I'm not, <laughs> I'm not at all. But it's like, you know, like my whole life, I've just never had money. And so it's like, I'm scared to like not make it. And so thus it causes me to work harder. And the reason I want to work harder is so that I have money to provide for my kids but it makes it really tough to hang out with my kids and my wife because then it takes away from the work that I need to do to make money to hang out with my kids and my wife. And so I wish I had like a sparkling inspirational answer that's like, oh, it's changed everything. I'm so much more. Efficient. But really, it's just it's really hard because when you're an entrepreneur, you know, mom or dad, like it doesn't matter. Like for me, I'm a dad. I got the dad guilt. Right. Like yeah. I'm up here right now. It's a Friday Friday my wife is hanging out in the house right now with the kids and taking care of them. And I'm like, I know what it's like to take care of two kids all day. Like, well, no, actually like, I know what it's like to take care of them for two hours (laughs) and like, be like, Oh my God, this is insane. My wife does this all day. And it's like, I want to help her with that, but I can't because I'm like working. And so I think for me, the impact is like, it's really motivated me away from money. You know, it's like, I'm not necessarily dialed in and being like, I got to make $10,000 here and 20. I'm just like, all right, as long as it kind of checks out, I'm cool. But I just need to like delegate this and like give this away to someone on my team, which I think that's kind of something that I've been working on and actually been getting pretty good at. So now I've got like an assistant. One of my business partner runs like all of my real estate, you know, development and, and funds. And like, he like works with all the investors and everything like that. And I just have people now that I have to be, Like I'm a creative at heart, so it's very difficult for me to give anything away. But like now I have to go to my assistant and say like, hey, I need you to do all of this and I'm going to give you direction and I'm going to spend time to teach you how to do it and I'm going to delegate it to you. And this is very difficult for me to delegate to you because I really want to do it myself, but I have to. And so now I do that. And now I delegate, delegate, delegate. And that's like my whole, someone once said like delegate, automate and delete Uh, the dad method, I guess. So I got to delegate give that away. I've got to automate and figure out how to just make everything like kind of run. And so maybe in a small example, that would be everything on auto pay or, you know, hiring a bookkeeper to do all my finances and then delete. What are things in my life that I'm doing right now that don't actually make me happy, that don't improve my financial, you know, like well-being that don't, uh, you know, give me my time, like all that kind of stuff. I have to like examine that. And one of those things is like, not looking at my inbox. Like, you know, like I used to like look at my inbox all the time be like, Oh, so many people are emailing me. And now I'm just like, you know, the inbox will be there tomorrow or the next week or the day after that. So I'm kind of in this whole entrepreneurial struggle of like trying to enjoy my time without stressing so much whenever I'm hanging out with my family. I guess I could have just started there, but, no, but it's all good. I,
2: I'm glad you said that because even in your answer, right, you gave the answer. You said, I wish I had some like shining nugget of inspiration, but. I'm actually, I was hoping selfishly for not the shiny nugget of inspiration. What I was hoping for is I think many of us are, is to share the struggle because this happens to me every weekend. I also have two little kids and I'm building another podcast. You know, we have this one. I'm a job. Like there's a lot of things. And when I'm with them, I I wonder, uh, sh- couldn't I be working right now? Couldn't I be doing something else? And yeah, I'm like the whole purpose of building these things is to spend time with them and enjoy it. And finally, the other day, this is really crazy. And I, I haven't even said this on the podcast. I realized, like, I think I'm just scared of not living up to my own expectations. Like That's why I work so hard. You know, I, I've always said, no, I want to create cool things in the world. I want to influence people positively. And if I'm not working, I'm not doing that. And it's a really hard balance between the mm-hmm. things we know we value and then the which is obviously what you're talking about family and friends and and then the things we want to do on this planet as well which is create value and things like that i don't know how to solve it i guess we all struggle with it <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean i'm, I'm ser-
1: i certainly do and that's the thing that like for me i'm just like it's it's sad to me right like it's really i'm genuinely like relatively happy all in all but for me it's like I feel bad because i I want to want to like spend time with my family, and the only reason i I don't want that is because I want to work for them and so it's like this the craziest, most frustrating twisted catch twenty two and I think that truly the only way that I can overcome that is by just like not doing as much and I'm like trying to do that I'm like that like I said I ignore my inbox because I'm like I can't do I can't look at an inbox at the end of the day because That's what I'm going to be thinking about when I'm hanging out with my family. And so, and now I don't work weekends whenever like my assistant or my business partner texts me about it. I'm like, tell me about it on Monday. So I'm taking like steps to get there and it does help, but I'm also just like ADHD and like highly, I'm highly ADHD if you can't Ah. tell, but like. Uh, that really does inter- interfere with everything because like I'll be with my family, or I'll be working and I'm like thinking about both and I'm like, what do I do? They, oh, there's a squirrel over there. Oh, there's a dog. I love dogs. <laughs> I grew up with dogs. Uh, so it's just kind of one of those things that's like, I-, I don't know if I'll ever have it solved, but I do know that I'm like actively taking
2: steps to-, to fix it. And I think that's the best any of us can do. And Rob, let me explain not just to you, but to the listeners, like why I really wanted to talk to you specifically about this stuff. I'm going to talk about your bio in the intro, and I'm going to ask you about the ventures you have so that everybody knows about them. But I have a little bit of insight just from following you and talking to you. And so you have your Airbnb business, your rental business, you know, that going on, which is crushing it. And like a lot of people follow you and learn from you because of the success you've had. And not just the standard Airbnb. You do glamping stuff. You do the tiny houses in Joshua Tree, like really cool experiences. But you also have built this YouTube channel, which many people consider one of the kind of uh, primary, the the top YouTube channels as it relates to short-term rentals. You also have your courses, you have your masterminds. And the reason I say all this is because so many people listening right now have thought about creating one of those businesses. Right? It's just the way of the world right now. I want to be a content creator. I want a YouTube channel. I want a podcast. I want to influence. I want to build a business. You've done this. You've done it well. You've done it young. You've done it successfully. Too many people see the one minute clip on TikTok and not the one hour conversation on a podcast on what's real. And like, that's what I get from you. And that's what I want people to take away. What are some other things? And then we'll get into how do we actually build some of these businesses. But like, what are some other things you think? The majority of people don't understand about the lifestyle that you've built for yourself.
1: Man. yeah, I, it, that's really funny that you say that cuz I do I do kind of rank the uh how much you know a creator based on on the platform, right? And so like TikTok is yeah, the 30 second to 60 second like hey, look at me, I'm cool, let me brag about something. And then, you know, Instagram is like, hey, here's a little slice of my life that's very positive and like here's all the good stuff about my life. And then YouTube is like the 15, 20 minute version of like, Hey, here's who I am. I hope you like me. I'm going to edit myself to be the best version of myself. And then podcasting is like the one hour, like here it is, everybody. It is. Here's it's who true. I actually am. It's I'm so evil. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But it's true. You know <laughs> it. Yeah. You know, I think, um, yeah, it's so funny. Like it's, uh, we are talking about, we've been talking about like real estate this whole time, but yeah, like the creation side of things is kind of its own added set of pressures for sure, because it's like, I just want to help people. You know, that's kind of like my, my MO here is like, I, like I said at the beginning, like I, I actually all bits aside, I do think I'm a pretty average smart guy, right? Like not like I'm not the smart friend in the group or anything like that, but I do work hard and I've built something really cool because of like my tenacity. I think tenacity, I'll take that over, over intelligence, almost any day. And so I think I just want to help people. And so I started this YouTube channel, this little funny dinky little YouTube channel called the Raw built channel. And it started out as a DIY channel. And, um, I was, you know, doing that for six months. I, I started it because there's these two YouTubers that I used to watch for years. Um, one was like homemade modern. And the other one was modern builds I was a really big fan of those channels. And I was like, man, they really inspired me to like learn DIY and do that in my house. I, I want to just do that for other people. And I started, Creating all these DIY videos and they weren't really doing that great, but like you know, it's like all good. And I just wanted to hit like a thousand subscribers, and I did in six months. Like on literally the six the six month mark, I hit a thousand. I was like, I did it. My dreams have come true. And then all of a sudden, one of my like second or third videos went viral. Like after the fact, um, it was a, a little vlog of me on an iPhone that I was talking about my tiny house, you know, that I built in LA and that just took off. And I think, you know, I was like, you know, this is crazy because like I wanted a thousand subscribers and I was like, well, in a couple of years I'll hit 5,000 and that'll be really great. And then I hit 5,000 subscribers like two or three days later. And then I hit 10,000 subscribers like two or three days later and then 25,000 like a week after that. So it all kind of like completely changed. And it, it happened because of the tiny house, like video. And I was like a little bummed when it happened because I I didn't want to be the tiny house. I was like, I knew when I started the channel, I was like, well, I could talk about Airbnb and tiny houses, but man, that content always bores me. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to do that. And so I I just try to, you know, do DIY. And when the tiny house Airbnb stuff started like taking off, I was a little bit bummed because I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. And then I just kind of, you know, thought like, well, what if I wasn't boring? like, what if I was like really fun and weird and quirky? And, and I went all in on that. And, you know, as a result, my channel like really did take off. And, and yeah, that, that's been my, my, my jam now, I guess for the past two years, it's like, obviously being a content creator slows down, (laughs) you know, like the real estate stuff, because like, I'm still doing it all, but now I have to like say, you know, Hey, before you put that nail in over there, let me set up the camera, you know? So there's obviously like, some conflicting time things there. When I'm over here saying like, I want my time back. Well, being a YouTuber is not really the best way to do that because like filming just takes so long and it like takes, takes so much out of me that even if I, you know, crushed it out in an hour, I'm kind of burnt out for the day kind of thing. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, the content side of things like that's who I am now. Like I love being a content creator. It's really weird to me that I'm a YouTuber. Like it literally is my dream come true and it, it happened. And now I'm kind of in this part of life where kind of like, you know, the YouTube stuff has enabled literally like all of my dreams to come true. Like the actual list that I have, right. Like a lot happened for me last year and like, it went from, you know, being on several like big podcasts. I did like a little mini documentary with PBS. Um, I I shot a pilot, like a TV pilot, like I hit a hundred thousand subscribers. And so like, I think the, the added, the, the lifestyle part of this is really hard because like all, all of my goals I checked off and now I'm like, well, what do I do now? Like it all happened like last year and so my biggest struggle as like a content creator is like, well, I guess I got to make new goals, but I don't even know what they would be. And so that's the that's the really hard part for me. And so I try to be as like real about this as as I can be on YouTube. And so I started straying away a little bit from. I mean, I still do. It's my bread, bread and butter on the channel, but like I, I stray every so often away from like. Airbnb, tiny house real estate. And I'll just do like entrepreneurial struggles and like talk about like, like I became a millionaire last year. And so that was like a big thing for me. And I was like, okay, well, I guess like, I don't know, that was cool. I don't, I don't really have another financial goal. Like that was the thing that I wanted. Yep. Um, and so now I just create content that's like the struggles of being a millionaire because a lot of people are like, oh, you, what kind of struggles can you actually have? You're rich, you're fine. And I'm like, no, that's not that's not really how it works. Like every, every millionaire, like if you're really investing your money, you should, you should feel broke because you shouldn't really have that much money. Cause it's always going into your investments kind of thing. So I try to like prepare people for that. I try to talk about like the struggles and like what to expect and what I thought that I would get out of it that I didn't get like being happy. Like I'm happy. Sorry. Let me, <laughs> yeah, I always yeah. have to clarify this cause it's always like worded in a certain way, but like money doesn't buy happiness. And I always thought, I was always like, that's the dumbest phrase ever. And then I got money because I earned it. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'm still the same level. I'm happy, but I'm not happier. I thought, I, like, I thought like, the, I'd see the net worth go up and I'd be like, oh, I'm happy now. But it doesn't work like that because money isn't really what makes you happy. It's like experiences and time, right? And so I think I try to bring that to light and show people like, all right, here's what you can expect if you want to be a millionaire. Here's what you got to do here's how you got to approach it. Here's what you got to be ready for. Here's what nobody talks about. Um, so I, I think my YouTube channel is always just like my way of like venting to the world in a, in a really fun, positive way and saying like, all right, here's the real stuff, obviously edited down to 15, 20 minutes. And sometimes I'm like, man, I really wish I had a
2: podcast where I can talk about all this stuff. Well, if you ever want to build one, you know, you can just ask if (laughs) I can help you. That's right. Um, Yeah. Okay. But, What you just reminded me of, one of the most poignant things I've ever heard on this show, we interviewed the founder of Melissa and Doug, which you've probably heard of because you have little kids, Mm -hmm. right? The toy company. And she's a billionaire. And she had a like legit meltdown, right? Mental health crisis. And I remember talking to her, how? You have so much money. You've built a business with your family. It's a business of children's toys. like what? And she said, People think the hardest thing is achieving their goals, but do you know how hard it is when you've achieved every goal plus more and you still don't feel fulfilled? And I remember being like, oh my God, right? Because humans are meant to strive. I genuinely think that. That's why we're top of the food chain. That's also why we're kind of psychotic. Like We're not very good at just sitting. That's why meditation is a bajillion dollar industry. So when you get to the societal pinnacle and then realize there's still a yearning for something that has to be existential. And I'm not saying that's what you're facing, but it's just, I think, a, a good reminder because so many people, myself included, still want to get to that level where that's the problem. You know, we hear the money doesn't buy happiness and we're like, come on, come on. But like it's yeah. common enough that it must be true. Yeah, it
1: is. It it is because, and I always say this and I always have to remind people that I was like, dude, I was broke, man. Yeah. You know, like I, you know, it is funny. Like the TikTok people, those are always the people that were like, oh, okay, I I get it. So to be like you, step one, be rich or like (laughs) step one, have rich parents and then we can be you, right? That's what you're saying. Have a rich dad. And I'm like, okay, well, if you watched any of my content then you know that people have seen the the trajectory. Like I didn't start rich on the channel. I'm not rich now. I don't, I don't. I wouldn't say I am, but like, like I didn't start where I was now. Like I really built up to this. And I think that's what people appreciate is that I've been very transparent, very open about it. But yeah, man, a hundred percent. It's like, I do get even friends that are like, well, you know, that's a little callous. I don't think, I don't think you're really, you know, money doesn't buy you happiness, but it does buy you convenience. And like, of course you can say that because you have money. And I'm like, well, yeah, but you know, I also was like, where you were at like a year ago. So trust me, you know, you, if I handed you a million dollars, you would buy stuff and you'd be happy for like a day. And then you'd be like, okay, what now? And I think that's kind of what every entrepreneur and content creator and everybody, you know, kind of like with this mindset goes through. It's like, what now? Because I've had so much change in the last four years. I mean, in the last five years, I moved from, from Austin to Kansas City. And I lived in Kansas City for three years. And then I moved from Kansas City to LA for four years. And then I moved from LA to Tennessee for a year. And then I moved back to LA for a month. And then I just moved to Texas where I'm going to be forever, I think, actually. And But I can't shake this feeling of like, what's next? What's next? And I'm like, no, there is no next. This is next. This is it. We're here, Rob. You got to remember that. But I'm just like, "Ah, I don't know. Like I can't shake this feeling that something something else has to happen. And I think, I think that's just like the entrepreneurial side of like, okay, I've solved this. Now what, what can I solve next? And that's like a hard thing to shake off. It's like the, it's like wired in us, you
2: know? I do. Rob, I got to tell you this. Everybody's heard of, Hey, these are the good old days. Like when you're older, you're going to look back and say, these are the good old days, right? Everybody's heard that phrase, but I heard a phrase the other day that added a different element. It said, right now is what you will remember when you are older, but what you aspired to be when you were younger. And that I think is cool because it adds the element of you're right. Like if I told my 20 year old self where I am now, I'd be like, that's awesome. I won. Why don't I feel like it in the moment? You know, so I'm always so focused on, oh, when I'm older, I'll look back on this. But I don't often think about when I was younger, the stresses, anxieties and struggles were to get me here. So I don't know. It's just a lot of this conversation is reminding me of that. And it's also cool to hear it from somebody such as yourself who has just built so much of a lifestyle that people today are striving for, whether it be through investments or content with that in mind. Yeah, man, I think There are a lot of times, just to cap that off, it's like,
1: I've said this several times with my just different friends or business partners where we've said like, oh yeah, the golden days. And really there is always like, there's always a set of golden days or a golden era every year for me where I'm like, oh, that was nice. I miss that. you know. And I think that gets very um, accelerated everything when you have kids because your kids grow up so fast. It doesn't seem like it in the moment, but my daughter just turned two last week and I'm just like, wow that where did, what happened? Was everything worth everything that I've done worth like all of this becoming a a blur of two years? And it's like, no, you know, but I think it's right. I think we got to remind ourselves. That's like, this is what I wanted a year ago or like six months ago. I have it. I gotta remember that, like that, that would have made my life six months ago to have a peek into what today is. And so we just have to remind
0: ourselves. That's like, we're doing okay. Yeah. We could slow down. It doesn't have to be so crazy all the time. And now a quick word from this week's sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. It's a new year, but it's feeling harder than ever to find and hire the qualified people you need, especially for small businesses. That's where LinkedIn Jobs comes in. They make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people. Focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience and use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified. Then use the simple tools on LinkedIn Jobs to quickly filter and prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires for its leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com smart. That's linkedin.com smart to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And now back to the episode. Well, I don't think you're going to be able to be reminded because
2: once, you know, for us two was good, but man, I'm just going to warn you about three. Like just if you could just black out for your child's entire age of three, I would suggest it. Or if you can go take like a, a financial, uh, you know, thing under, you can start start a business and go away for all of three. I mean, of course I'm joking, but man. I'm yeah, just, I just I I'm like PTSD my my youngest is almost 4 and he just started getting to the point where I'm like all right you're cool you can stay but um we'll we'll keep you pal you <laughs> did, you, you did good <laughs> so listen we've talked a lot about it that, that how you got to where you were what you've learned i think what you can expect i'd like to leave people with a few nuggets on how to get there right so instead of guiding you and this is not great journalism but just i'm going to i'm going to do it anyways what advice, okay, either in Airbnb or content creation, would you give to people who are saying like, "I want to work towards the life that somebody like Rob has"? I want to start building income, doing cool stuff. Where do we start? Um, well, I guess it'll depend on
1: exactly which industry, but I, I man, dude, in general, the human race is a, a big old goofy gang of people that are overthinkers, And that's ultimately like what holds all of us back from ever starting anything is we get in our head and we're like, I don't know, what if this fails? What if, you know, what if this doesn't work out? What if I lose money? What if people laugh at me? Whatever. I think the best thing you can do is like kind of jump into something that you're not qualified for, (laughs) which I think is like kind of pretty bad, like financial advice if I'm being honest but it's so true dude like in real estate nothing that I did I was qualified for I didn't know what I was doing I I knew that I I could figure it out and that I was a hard worker and that I was like I was seeing other people like succeed in real estate and I would say like mm, I mean I don't think they're necessarily smarter than me so if they can do it I can do it right They're also average <laughs> they're they're average just like me so I would always tell myself, like, if other people can do it, I can do it too. And so I would get into these things that I had like no business doing. Like I, you know, when I started my Airbnb, my first one in the rental arbitrage, my wife was like, are you sure about this? I was like, ah, no, but it will, you know, how bad could it be? And then, you know, we bought the house and she's like, are you sure about this? And I was like, eh, no, but we'll figure it out. And then I, bu- I was like, let's build a tiny house in my, in the backyard. And she was like, have you ever built anything before? And I was like, No, but I think I'll figure it out. There's a, there's a thread here, but she's my tether, right? She's a tether that keeps me attached to the spaceship, which I need. I do need that because if it wasn't for her, I'd be yeah. Halfway to the moon already. Right. And so in a bad way, like floating away. (laughs) And so, um, so for me, it's like, I always hop into stuff that's a little scary. And I think that, I think that's kind of the mindset that people need to succeed is like, you should always be a little bit, scared of anything you hop into because you shouldn't really know how to do it and you should be more excited. You, you should be more excited about that. I think like you should be excited to be scared. A lot of people come up to me and they say like, dude, like I want to start this Airbnb business, right? Like a lot, lot of students are like, I want to start it. Yeah. sir, sir, Rob, uh, uh, excuse me. Uh, what, what's something that you, you wish that you could take back? Like what's a mistake right. that you wish you could just like avoid? And I was like, nothing, not a single mistake. Mm. I love my mistakes. I think that people should embrace their mistakes and be genuinely excited to fail. Because like when you make a mistake, like every mistake I've ever made in my Airbnb business, I would why would I take that back? Now I know now, now I know what not to do. Now I know that I can teach people like I do, like I teach people, hey, don't do this because here's what happened when I did it. And so like me jumping into this unqualified and a little bit scared allowed me to kind of like think on my feet and never, you know, never like let my guard down. And I was always just like, okay, like things are gonna happen. I, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm gonna be ready to attack it. And so I never let my guard down. And this is not necessarily a good thing, but I was just like, okay, let's go. Whatever happens, I'm I'm ready for it. And so I was always ready to kind of pounce on any any anything that was like kind of threatening my situation because I was like, I'm going to squash this. And so I've made a lot of mistakes and, and I've, I've lost money and I've like, um, you know, refunded people and all that kind of stuff. And no, man, I would never take that back in a million years because a, it makes me a better Airbnb host. And so I can provide a better experience to my guests, but B I can help if I've lost $10,000, let's say in like, you know, from one mistake Well, I have a YouTube audience of like 150,000 plus people that I can help them avoid that same mistake. And now I've just saved the world, you know, I don't know, millions of dollars in that same mistake. And so for me, I think I'm happy to like fail. And people are so scared of failure when they're getting started in, in real estate or just turning on the camera to start a YouTube channel. But I think more people should just like, Love the idea of failing because that's, that's, what, that's, like, that's what makes us who we are. Yeah, that, That's pretty much it. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk, by the way. Hey,
2: it's a good TED Talk, actually. <laughs> I want to ask you about Airbnb specifically, just given how hot it is, and that's probably going to be in the title of the episode. Um, where do we start, right? We've heard about it. You've inspired us with these massive returns. We've seen the people on TikTok. Uh, we want to do it. Maybe we even have the capital. How do we find deals? How do we trust that we've at least minimized our risk, although we can't remove it? Yeah, for sure. okay, so let's do it. Let's
1: do it. Let's give the people give let's them what end they came on for. like some tactical steps. Yes. That's right.
2: You guys had to listen
1: <laughs> all the way <laughs> to the very end to hear for, to hear from Rob. Okay, so I think it's pretty simple here. Um, I, I think that at the end of the day, taking small steps really gets you like to where you need to go. Like a lot of people see. Uh, a five hundred thousand dollar house, for example, and they're like, "Oh my goodness, I have to buy a five hundred thousand. It's gonna be so hard. How do I do it? How do I furnish it? How do I do this?" But they don't remember that like, there's like a hundred steps involved with starting an Airbnb. All mm-hmm. right, so it's like, just do one step at a time. If you try to do ten things at a time, you're not going to do very well. You're probably going to fail. If you do like one thing, then it's like, okay, I could probably just do one thing. So do one thing a day. Like, you, know, you don't have to start your whole empire in, in a week. Like, give yourself some time, especially if you're starting out. So what are some tactical steps that you can do to figure out, like, hey, I, I want to do this. What what I do first? So first step, tiny little baby step, alright We're going to start very small. You're going to contact a mortgage broker, all right? And you're just going to figure out what loan options are available to you. What what can you do? Like, what what what's available to you? Because, like, a lot of people, there's so much misinformation out there that's like I need 20% down, I need 25% down, I'll never afford that. That's not true. Hmm. There are options that are like 5, 10, 15%. And really, people don't find that out until they talk to their mortgage broker. You could do a second home loan, for example, that counts as a vacation home. You could put 10% down and use that as an Airbnb so long as you ocup- occupy it for a portion of the year. But a lot of people think they need, you know, 20% down, but that's a big difference on a $500,000 house that is 50,000 right. versus 100,000. Right. 50,000 is a lot easier to come by than 100,000, right? Yeah. So talk to a mortgage broker and just get qualified for like pre-qualified for what you can actually afford, like what will they qualify you for, right? Mm-hmm. So if you go to a mortgage broker and they say, "Chris, we're pre-approving you for 350." Well, now you know you can't look at houses that are 375, 400, 425. Good point. Get approved. And just figure out like, okay, that's your first parameter. That's like, we're working around that. Now we know we go to Redfin, Zillow, all that. And we put in that and we're like, okay, so all these houses are going to be under my budget. Next, you want to contact a realtor in the market that you're looking at. And you want to say, Hey, here's what I'm looking to do. Here's what I'm pre-approved for. I got the pre-approval letter. I'm looking for a three bedroom house, whatever. I want it to have a view, whatever you need. Right? Mm -hmm. So now you got a realtor involved. And so now you have put two people's time on the line. You've put your mortgage broker who spent time qualifying you, put your realtor who, you know, uh, put together the list and they're taking calls or sending you leads. Now it's kind of like the stakes are a little bit higher, right? Because before you were on doing all this by yourself right? and you're like, okay, it's not a big deal if I don't ever do this, but now you got two people that are like, you've wasted their time, right? And you should remember that and you should remember to respect people's time. And so it's like these two baby steps are like, okay, I've got the team. At the end of the day, I know if I have questions, I can ask my loan officer about like some financial question and I can ask my my realtor about like, you know, is this house in a good area, whatever. Then you got to start looking at houses that fall within your actual criteria. Um, This is actually pretty relevant. I just came up, I just came out this week with a video on my channel called like this is how much your short term re- this is exactly how much a short term rental is gonna make. It's oh. a whole deep dive on how to analyze a deal. So oh, because that, that's exactly weird. what I was wondering. Okay, yeah. So and we'll link to that. Yeah, yeah. We'll so, link to your channel. We'll link to that video. Okay, cool. Yeah. So basically, um, okay, perfect. So you you've you're pre approved. Go to Redfin, find a house. Okay, find a little cutie, a little croissant, as I like to say. <laughs> and then now you want to start running comps on it. Comps means like comparable houses in the area, houses on Airbnb. And so you, this is like the easy part, right? You're going to do a market audit. You're going to go onto airbnb.com and you're just going to start gauging the market that, that you're in, right? So let's say you want to invest in Chattanooga, Tennessee, for example. You're going to go to Chattanooga on Airbnb. Uh, you're going to filter by three bedrooms because that's what you're looking at buying. And you're just going to start looking at all of the three bedrooms in Chattanooga. And you want to start seeing like, how nice are they? How often are they booked? How far out are they booked? You know uh, are is the marketing good on them? Do they have good photos? Do they have good listing copy? Do they have good titles? And really kind of get a sense of like who your competition is. Are they immaculately designed from an interior design standpoint? or were they all like furnished with goodwill furniture, right? Um, unless it was like you know, thrifted, whatever. But all to say like you want to kind of understand what your place is gonna be in that market. And be realistic with yourself if, like, the budget that you have is going to be able to compete with the people in that market. So if you go in and you see that all the houses are kind of, you know, old and ratty and all the photos were taken on an iPhone 2 and, like, you know, it's just kind of creaky and there's, like, one sentence of listing copy and all that kind of stuff, then you can say, okay, well, for the most part, it doesn't seem like the competition is high. So I am going to continue looking here. So let's say you find your property after you've done your market audit At that point, you're going to go and you're going to use a bunch of different tools like AirDNA, uh, the rentalizer on AirDNA, MASH Visor, all the rooms, Price Labs. Uh, There's a bunch of different tools that you can use and you can effectively take the house that you're looking at, take the address, you can type it into those tools and they will spit out a yearly projection of what they think that property will make based on aggregated data. Of all of the other listings that fit the bill of that specific house, so if you're looking at a three-bedroom house, something like AirDNA will actually go and compile all of the houses that are three-bedroom, two-baths in the area, and then they will say, based on this data and how often they're booking, we estimate that you're going to book for three twenty-seven a night at sixty-eight percent of the year, coming out to seventy-two thousand dollars a year. So you're going to kind of just like get that as a gut check because that's really just in my mind, part one is like using an analytics tool like that. But that at that point, you want to actually go back into Airbnb and start assessing how often your your competitors are booked out. So you'll go into their calendars and you'll see how many great out dates they are, look at their average nightly rate, multiply that by the great out dates and say, okay, this person is making $4,800 a month. And then they charge more in July and here's what they're going to make in that month at a 70% occupancy and you're going to cross-reference kind of your findings there, the extrapolations that you make there with the projections that you found on like air DNA, mash Pfizer, all the rooms, price labs, all that kind of stuff. I think following that specific process right there is all you really need to do. You just need to do that over and over and over again. I just did this for two hours last night with my students because like, this is the scary bear when it comes to like getting into Airbnb, is like, ooh, what if I fail? What if I go underwater? Yes, it is. All that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, I get it. And and you know, like I'm over here like spouting this out like this, and my students last night were like, dude, like how you do this
2: so fast? Right. I'm like, cause I've done it 2,000 times. Well, it's never At the easy. End of the day. I mean, that's the thing. Keep in mind, like so many people go, I want to get the 20% returns, but like let's just take the TikTok filter off for a second, right? It's not this is years of your life and then it becomes part of who you are and you can do it quicker. I just think that message doesn't get said enough, but it, it, yeah, it's
1: repetition, man. Like, you know, it's like, it's not that I'm exceptionally smart. It's just that I I've done this 5,000 times in my life and now I can look at properties and be like, yeah, 80 grand. Oh, it'll make 70 grand. Looking at that probably like 65 grand and like sometimes I'm right and sometimes I'm wrong. But for the most part, I have a pretty good gut check on a property. And sometimes I'll just look at a property and be like, yeah, that's a winner. I don't even care like what the numbers are. And most of the time I'm right there. I mean, like, like I said, all of the pieces of my portfolio have been, you know, home runs for the most part, because like, I just like a good aesthetic on a house. Like I like a cutie, right? And so we bought this house in the middle of Wisconsin, kind of a really rural area, not, not hugely populated, but it was this insane mid-century modern cabin that was like, beautiful. It was on 18 acres. It was just so well done. And like, so much of the charm had been retained that I was like, we ran it through the, the air DNA tool that I was telling you about Mm -hmm. and it comped out. Okay. It was like, okay. Yeah. The numbers kind of work, but I was like, told my partner, I was like, let's get it, dude. That house is going to crush it. I know that it's going to crush it. And so far we're on track to like not doubling it, but like, you know, like we're making, we're going to make about 30 to 40% more than what was predicted. Cause I just knew when I saw it, I was like, Oh yeah, the, the stats are wrong. Like we're going to beat it. And so I just know that now really out of repetition and having done it uh, many times. So it's easy for me now when it started out, I was, you know, like my students, I was like confused and like scared and all that stuff, but you just got to trust the process. You got to set a process. You got to run the numbers and analyze the numbers, run the numbers again, Analyze the numbers again, and then do that thirty more times and once you've done that, then I think you can go into the investment because more than likely you know with the way that returns are in that industry, you got a little bit of wiggle room, you know, like if a house is a forty percent return, for example, even if I'm off a little bit, okay, all right, it's a twenty five percent return. Oh, I'm so sad like it doesn't it doesn't really matter. The only time that I tell people to be like very careful is like if their returns, you know, if the numbers that they've run over and over again are a 10 to 20%, I'm like, look, it'll still probably work, but you're not giving yourself
2: much room for error. Right. That makes sense. Last question. I know we got to let you go. So many times with people who do things like this, I know I go, then Rob, why not just do this infinite times, right? Like, and then if there's a million Robs out there doing this, how could I possibly find a deal? Like I went through this thought process when everybody was doing Amazon FBA type stuff is mm. like, there's a million Robs doing Amazon FBA who know so much more. They've picked over all the good, the good, uh, you know, things on there. Same thing with Airbnb. So the question becomes one, you know, why haven't you just taken up every good deal? And then two, what does that leave for people just trying to get in now? I promise this is the last question. No, no, it's good. Keep them keep flowing, man. Um, it's a fair question. I mean, I do.
1: I mean, I'm I'm actively well, I guess I've had a little bit of a, a kind of a not a plateau, but I've slowed down a little bit since starting the channel because I'm more I I genuinely now that money is less of a concern, like I genuinely just enjoy helping other people make money. Like that to me makes me a lot happier when I have my students send me messages and say like, "Dude, I just closed, I just listed it, I got my first two thousand dollar booking. Like I'm like, okay, cool. It's like it's almost like I made two thousand so dollars. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's like vicariously, right? But the reason I haven't done this infinitely is because time has become so so much more important and unfortunately the way with like how limited my time and like the type of projects that I'm taking on at this point, I'm really only taking on projects that are like like worth worth it from a financial standpoint. And unfortunately those all take a lot of time to get off the ground. So if you follow the channel at all, then, you know, I've got like a tiny house village that I'm building in Gatlinburg, Tennessee right now. I've been trying to get the permits for that for like, you know, a year now. And that right there is going to cost me, I think like between six and $700,000 to build. It should gross about 400 and the net should be like 300, 350. We got, we're working out some numbers there. So that right there is a pretty good, like, okay, $350,000 net is awesome. That right there, I would rather spend a year working on that than a year buying 10 different houses that get me that. Because at the end of the day, you know, it's the same amount of work to, to, to just do it. Like at the end of the day, it's like building that is easier than building the 10 or than buying 10 houses, because I really only have to just manage the one property versus 10 properties across the country. It's the same thing with the, the, Fund that I'm raising in Joshua Tree. I'm I'm raising five million dollars, and I'm going to use that to to borrow more money to build twenty houses in Joshua Tree. And by the time that that's over, I'll have twenty houses that are brand new that I'm a owner of. Right. So you mix that with my tiny house village, and now I've got these two giant properties that I've kind of accumulated over the past two years. That instead of like hustling every single day to like acquire properties it was just kind of like a marathon to get like 40 properties
2: under my belt. That will make me way more money. If that makes sense. It actually makes really good sense, right? It's all, you go through the learning curve, you figure out, we're always trying to figure out how to streamline, how to level up. Right. I love scale. Right. I mean, look, if people are interested in this, like on your channel, you talk about the village you're building in Gatlinburg. It's so cool. Like, can you talk about, I mean, we haven't even touched on, there's so many things, but the glamping stuff and the cool experiences you make. So I'm just, Again, you know, I'd recommend people check that out if they're interested in it. I'll I'll come back. I'll come back. If everyone likes this episode, I'll come back. Uh, If everyone comments on the,
1: uh, the, if everyone leaves you a review saying that one episode where Rob was on, uh, I'll come back and do it. If we get one review that 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 mentions my name, I'll come back.
2: Let's see. Yes. Let's see how many Rob reviews we can get so that we (laughs) can get them back if you want to learn about how to do this even more in depth. So listen, Rob, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Really appreciate it. All the knowledge you share, not just on the show, but on your channel. And uh, it has, you know, sparked in me a lot of creativity and a lot of opportunities. And I know it has in others as well. So we've touched on it, but just um, give us the actual like websites and what we search to find you to learn from you and what resources are you providing that we could go to if these things have interested us.
1: Yeah, sure. So there's my my main jam, which is YouTube. You can just follow me at Rob Built on YouTube. Uh, a lot of people say it's Rob Built, but it's Rob Built, like Rob built it. <laughs> they must R-O-B. not know your name, dude. <laughs> no, it's your like Robe? my family, my cousins, my best friends. <laughs> Everyone says Rob Built, but fine. Uh fine. So it's Rob Built, R O B U I L T. You can follow me on Instagram at Rob Built as well. If you want to see me do silly dances on TikTok, no, I, I don't. I don't dance on TikTok, but I am on TikTok. Uh, <laughs> you can follow you me at, at Rob Builto. Unfortunately, someone took Rob Bilt from me. I I have to worry about this now. People stealing my handle now. Uh, Rob so Bilto funny. on TikTok and then dot uh, hostcamp.com. That's my mentorship program. It's twelve months. I teach people how to start from A to Z at Airbnb business. So if you want to learn more about that, you can go to hostcamp dot com. But other than that, um Oh, Rob oh, Robbuiltchannel.com If you all want another website there, I have like links to like a bunch of things like my shopping list and like my air DNA, like my comping calculator and
2: analysis calculator and all that stuff. All that stuff is free. I haven't seen that Robbuiltchannel.com? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. That sounds, that sounds like the money spot. You give it <laughs> all away. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for,
1: I always forget that that's there, but that that is there. If you want to, if you want to go get free stuff, you can find it there. That's
2: when you know you've built too much.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Rob, I love it. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing all this. For sure, man. Well, I am looking forward to reading all of the
1: reviews that that mentioned me so I can come back on the show sometime. Hundreds. It's coming. (laughs) All right.
2: Thanks so much, Rob.
0: That was Rob Built. Hope you enjoyed it and found it interesting. You can find out more over on YouTube at youtube.com slash Rob or you can go to robuiltchannel.com. That's R-O-B-U-I-L-T channel.com. Or again on YouTube, Robuilt, R-O-B-U-I-L-T. All right, now to the quick housekeeping items. If you ever want to reach out to Smart People Podcast, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or shoot us a message on Twitter at smartpeoplepod.com. And if you're a fan that's been listening for years, or even if you're a new fan and you want to help support us financially, you can head over to Patreon at patreon.com smartpeoplepodcast. And of course, if you want to help us out in a free and easy way, just tell some friends and family about the show. Any little thing you do helps. If you'd like to stay up to date with all things Smart People Podcast, head over to our website, smartpeoplepodcast.com, and sign up for the newsletter Make sure you stay tuned because we've got a lot of great interviews coming up and we'll see you all next episode.